I, uh, I saw that Brian had used the uh, Christ, My Heart Christ Home, which our men's group uh, back in South Dakota, we, uh, we used that as one of, part of our curriculum, um, and it's good stuff, so thanks. All right, so we're, we're back into Deuteronomy chapter 5, still in chapter 5. It's, we've been in chapter 5 for a while, but we're going to be through chapter 5 today, so we are going to make it someday through. Um, the title of the message this morning is Meeting God. Subtitle is Our Desperate Need for a Mediator. And I don't always do this, but the, there's a big idea for you this morning. Um, and the big idea that I hope that we remember is when we begin to understand the holiness of God, we become acutely aware of our need for a mediator. And there are three observances that we're going to be making in our text this morning. The first is that the commandments or words were audibly heard. The second is the people, after they heard that, wanted a mediator. And third, that their response initially uh, was approved by God. So over the last several weeks, we've been, other than last week, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments, of course, are first recorded in Exodus chapter 20. After Moses came down from the mountain, uh, God had delivered Israel out of the slavery of Egypt and shown his mighty power and authority over all creation, and he gave these Ten Commandments as moral laws to live by. Now, it's important we understand something or else we might attempt to get out of our responsibility to uh, obey the moral laws of God. In fact, some early heresies in the church said, well, the grace of God is there. I can just sin freely, which Paul rebutted quite strongly, and we're going to look at that in a a bit. But uh, the commandments we need to understand, these Ten Commandments are the moral law of God. They were not only for ancient Israel, but they are for all of us. There are parts of the covenant between God and Israel that do not apply to us anymore. We're so thankful for that, right? Uh, Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And there are many rules and laws, mostly regarding worship, that were exclusively for the people of Israel. They may be called, some people say, the holiness laws. So holiness means setting apart. God's chosen people, Israel, had a bunch of rules that would make them be set apart from the pagan community around them. Uh, Rules about what they could eat, how they could prepare it, and all kinds of stuff like that. How they needed to dress. How they needed to deal with the dead bodies. All kinds of rules like that. And there were also ceremonial laws. And we could maybe call those the laws of worship. The sacrificial system is a big part of that. God was very specific. If you ever care to read through some of those uh, passages of the uh, Pentateuch, that is the first five books of the Bible, and how specific God was in many cases of how his people were to worship him, how to atone for sin, how to remove guilt, and so forth. Thankfully for us, Jesus becomes our once and for all sacrifice for a sin. So we don't have to keep bringing animals to the altar. Isn't that nice? Our church is not a slaughterhouse, as the temple literally was. Our sacrifices to the Lord are to be our very selves, 
our bodies, our souls, everything we are, everything we have, all of our heart and soul and mind. And these ceremonial laws were very strict, and at, God, at uh, times God reminded his people uh, how to regard the worship of God, the holy God, um, and he, he, showed, he reminded them at times how serious it was. The priest Aaron's sons were killed for bringing unauthorized fire into the tabernacle. Uzzah was killed for merely touching the ark of God because he touched it in an unauthorized manner. And these are just a couple examples of how seriously God regarded his rules for how his people were supposed to worship him. It was a deadly serious business, worshiping God. And though we are not held to the same standard of worship that God imposed on Israel, yet we can learn much from the worship that God prescribed. And we should always evaluate our own worship in light of those principles. Lest we become arrogant in our worship, or lose our holy fear of God. We are not held to the holiness laws, that is the, the, um, the ceremonial laws, as much as Israel was. We are okay to eat feeds, foods that they didn't like, that they weren't allowed to. Thank God, right? Bacon. Who likes bacon, right? Everybody likes bacon. Um, we can wear clothes made of two different kinds of materials. All right? We don't have a complicated set of rules we have to follow just to enter into the temple that they did. And even then, even then, only the high priest could go the furthest in on behalf of God as his representative. We're given access through Jesus. We put faith that Jesus' death was sufficient once and for all. So the only uh, meat of animals that we bring to church are those that we're going to prepare in delicious dishes to have at our fellowship meal. And that's nice. We're not required to be circumcised. We're not required to keep the Passover and other feasts that God required of Israel. Thank God we're not subject to all those laws to the point of you're violating a covenant if you don't do them. But we are subject to the moral law of God. The moral laws of God are eternal. We cannot throw out the Ten Commandments as some old rules for one society in past history. God reveals himself to all people through his creation, as Romans 1.18 to 20 points out. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, uh, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And the moral law is indeed written in our hearts, Romans 2, 14 and 15. When Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. While, even consci- while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even accuse- excuse them. But our righteousness is not in keeping the commandments because we're unable to perfectly keep them. Our righteousness is filthy rags. If we break any part of the moral law, we have broken all of them. So where does our righteousness come from, or even potential righteousness? From Jesus alone, Christ alone. Romans 1, 16 to 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. But we know that Paul also teaches that through, though our righteousness comes by faith and not keeping the law, that does not give us license to sin. Because he says in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we we who died to sin still live in it? So God's moral law, as found in the Ten Commandments, is still valid today. This is why Christians have so often posted the Ten Commandments in visible places. They used to even post them in public school classrooms. They would be on the wall of a courthouse or out on the yard of the courthouse or on the side of the courthouse on the outside. And the tradition of listing those certainly must go back to Deuteronomy 6, which we're going to be getting more into next week, but includes a command of God that the people of Israel write his laws on the very doorposts of their house and on their gates. Now, until then, until now, this has just been an introduction to our passage. A quick recap, Moses is reminding the Israelites about how to enter the promised land, uh, and, and in that reminder, he's doing kind of a, a reminder of how God gave the commandments. So in literature, this is called a flashback, right? We're recalling something in the past. So after listing the commandments, Moses continues, starting at Deuteronomy 5, 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and man still live. Now therefore, why, shall, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and still lived? Go near, they're talking, the people talking to Moses here. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. And they are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But you, that's Moses, stand here by me and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules you shall give them that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, not, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, 
that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Go back for a moment just to remind you the three observances we're going to make. The commandments, or words, were audibly heard. It's not clear necessarily whether they heard the actual words or if they just heard the sound of God's voice as he talked to Moses, but God was audibly heard by the people. The people wanted a mediator, and their response in asking for a a mediator uh, was approved by God. So the cam- first of all, the commandments were audibly heard. This is very significant. What is referred to as the ten words, we call them the ten commandments, was heard audibly from the mouth of God to the people of Israel. Now there are not many examples of a group of people all hearing the audible voice of God. But these people heard his voice. The people present at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist heard the audible voice of God when he proclaimed that Jesus was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. Now, there are people who claim to have heard the voice of God audibly. Since God can speak however he pleases to people, I, I, can't, I will not deny that can happen. Some of them we know are lying because they claim God said something that doesn't align with Scripture. Then we know right away they're lying. It's an automatic check, right? No. Or there's... Uh, another way that they, we know they're not telling the truth is if they make a prophetic claim of something that they say is going to happen and that thing doesn't happen, then they're liars. In Jeremiah 23, there are some serious warnings to those who would claim to have a word from the Lord. Do not ever flippantly say, the Lord has told you something to tell to others. Don't do it. Don't do that casually. I've seen it many times in the church in my lifetime, and many times it amounts to what is spoken of in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is rebuking those who say they have a burden from the Lord, which is another way of saying I have a word from the Lord. And some people in the church will say they have a word of knowledge. That's another terminology that's used. But Jeremiah says to those false prophets, the liars here in Jeremiah 23, starting at 34, he says, as for the prophet priest or one of the people who says the burden of the Lord, I will punish that man and his household. Thus shall you say, every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother, what has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more, for the burden is every man's own word. And you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Does God speak audibly to people? He can do whatever he wants. Again, I'm not going to say whether he does or not. But Scripture is full of warnings to those who would claim that he spoke through them. But thankfully, we don't have to rely on modern-day prophets to tell us a word from the Lord because he's given us his word. There is a reason why so many people have fought to get the scriptures into the hands of people, from Luther to Tyndall to the modern-day Gideons. The realization is that the word of God is the only reliable source to know for certain the will of God And that has driven men and women to risk their very lives to put a copy of this word into the hands of people. 
If you want to hear God's word audibly, read your Bible out loud or listen to someone else read it. If you want to see in writing God's will for your life, read the Bible. You may, uh, we may not hear as a congregation the actual voice of God like the Israelites did or those who heard him at the baptism of Jesus, but we can know for certain God's word delivered to us in written form. We are privileged to have access in history. This is unprecedented. Most of us at any moment of time can access Scripture. Even if you're not carrying around the actual book with you, most of us have phones and we can look at Scripture there. It's amazing. They heard the commandments given audibly. And that ought to make us realize that these Ten Commandments, or Ten Words, are very important. The rest of the rules God had for the people he gave through Moses. All those other ceremonial laws, all of those other, um, you know, holiness laws, they were just given to Moses. He, he told them to the people. But the Ten Commandments were given verbally to the people by God and also written on stone tablets. And here in Deuteronomy, we see that even if we heard the audible voice of God, we probably could not bear it if we're really honest and understand the holiness of God, if he spoke to us audibly, we could probably hardly handle it. For Moses recalls to the people that as soon as they heard the voice, they came to Moses in fear. Verse 24, And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of God, the Lord our God, anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and still lived? Remember Isaiah, woe is me. I'm undone. That was not from hearing God, it was from seeing. Go near and hear all that the Lord your God, God will say, the people said to Moses, and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear and do it. They were so afraid of the encounter with God that they said, Moses, you go. <laughs> you go. You come between us and God, please. They see they cannot stand before God. They know this can't continue, that if they stayed in the presence of God, they would die. Now, therefore, why should we die? They realize, okay, it happened once. It's not going to happen again. We're so sinful. That's that realization they have. Do you tremble at the thought of God's holiness? You ought to. Christians have the privilege of access to this holy God because we wear the cloak of righteousness that comes from Jesus. And yes, he told his disciples, he called them friends, but be very careful that you do not have an attitude toward God that you say he's a friend and you forget the proper reverence towards him. And there's a song, I am a friend of God, and I knew a guy at Bible college, he, he hated that song. He said, I don't like that song. I don't think they should sing that in chapel. He said, the problem is that so many Christians sing a song like this and put God in the friend zone just as they would speak to him like their buddy. Hey, let's hang out together. Tell us some jokes. Have a laugh. Oh God, you're such a nice friend. Too many Christians today have no understanding or respect for God. In fact, someone has made the case that Christians are the greatest violators of the third commandment. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain or speak it lightly. If you think he's just your buddy, you will be more likely to take lightly his name. 
But the people who were there at the giving of the commandments had no illusions about the greatness, the majesty, the omniscience, the holiness of God. They realized they would be consumed by him. They wanted a mediator. So now this Moses, who not too long before this, they wanted to string him up. All of a sudden they say, hey, you go, you be the buffer between us and the awesome, fearsome, holy God. They now tell Moses they will trust him to be their mediator when they didn't trust him just earlier. You go to God and bring us his words. You, we cannot bear to be in his presence again. Implied in all of this is a realization of their sinfulness and an inability to stand before God. The need, they need an intermediary. You see, those who have even a beginning of an understanding of God's holiness will desire to have a buffer between him and them. One person said, the sight of God kills either the sin or the sinner. Another said, the mediation of Moses was craved by the people because the manifestation of God's holiness overwhelmed sinful men. Moses not only endured that manifestation, but went up alone into the thick darkness where God was. That shows that Moses was truly a great man, right? He was exceptional. That means exception to the rule, right? They desire for a mediator, and it shows a tendency to enhance in their minds the impression of God's holiness and the feeling of their own sinfulness. Matthew Henry said this, their earnest request that God would henceforth speak to them by Moses with a promise that they would hear what he said as from God himself and do it, it seems by this that they expected to receive further commands from God and were willing to hear more from him. Two, that they thought Moses was able to bear these discoveries of the divine glory, which they, by reason of guilt, were sensible of their inability to stand up under. They believed him to be a favorite of heaven and also, that, and also one that would be faithful to them. Yet at other times they murmured at him and but a little before this were ready to stone him. See how men's convictions correct their passions, that now they were in a good mind under the strong convictions of the word they heard, Many of their, have their conscience startled by the law that have, not, that have them not purified. Fair promises are extorted from them, but no good principles fixed and rooted in them. People who understand the seriousness of God's holiness have always desired a buffer or mediator between them and God. There's an old Clint Eastwood movie called Hang Em High, and in that movie, there's a judge who's the judge of o over the whole Oklahoma territory. He is the only law in all of Oklahoma, other than the marshals he sends out. And he's known as the hanging judge. He takes law and order very seriously in life and death, but he has compassion even on some of the ones he has to hang. And this judge is actually based on a real judge that existed and that was appointed by Ulysses, Ulysses S. Grant. And near the end of the movie, this judge is telling Clint Eastwood's character, and Clint Eastwood's character is a, is a federal marshal working for that judge. He's telling him about the burden of his position. He wishes that he were not the only law in such a large territory, that his decisions could be overseen or checked by someone else. And he says this, Well, maybe that's inevitable. When there's only one man, one court, with the power of final justice over a territory that's five times the size of most states. Mistakes, oh, I've made them, Cooper. Don't you doubt about that. Don't you doubt either. There are times sitting up there in that judgment seat I have wished 
I have prayed that there was someone standing between me and God Almighty. Someone with the power to say, you're wrong, Fenton. You made an error in the law. That man deserves another trial. This man here a reprieve, and this man is innocent. But until this territory becomes a state with a governor and a state court of appeals, I am the law here, all the law. If you don't like that, you can cuss me till hell freezes over, or you can join me, Cooper, even fight me. Help me turn this God-forsaken territory into a state where no man calls himself the law. Even this judge in his mighty authority trembled at the thought that I make mistakes in judgment. When we realize the seriousness of our relationship to a holy God, we realize we need a mediator. And so this, this judge took his responsibility seriously enough to wish himself a mediator between him and God. Now imagine the sort of pressure that would be. As judge, he made the final decision to send over 100 men to be hung. And like every judge is subject to mistakes, there were no appeals courts available. If he, if he convicted someone, that was it. His judgment was final. And because of that, he wished there were another mediator. And when people asked Moses to be their mediator, God approved of their response, or perhaps put it this way, he approved of their attitude at that time. And Moses says that, and that's in verses 28 and on there, that um, they came and said to him, you know, please be our mediator. The Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. And so he he. He affirms their attitude at that time. He says, okay, Moses will be the mediator. After this, the rest of the commandments were given to Moses directly to pass on to the people. They got their mediator. But in the language, there's a hint that God realizes this will not always be their attitude because he says, oh, that they had such a heart as this always. It kind of is an implication there. We're we're making an inference there that there's a prediction there that this is not always going to be the attitude. So again, those three observances were that the commandments were audibly heard. The people wanted a mediator. Their response earns God's approval. There are other observations we could make, but these three are what we're considering this morning. The passage continues and flows right on into Deuteronomy 6, which, Lord willing, we'll dive into next Sunday. And especially as we embark on D6 every day as our goal and mission as a church is to be a people of the word. Amen? Uh, who live it out and obey it. And our particular focus right now is preparing our hearts and giving the resources to every person to be obedient to the charge of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which again is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now context is king, right? The context of this command in Deuteronomy 6 is that Moses has just recalled the Ten Commandments to the people. He's directly linking the loving of God to the keeping of the commandments. 
He is charging every generation to teach their children by word and deed the ways of God. He also links the keeping of his commands to long life. God himself said to Moses that if they would have the heart of humility they were showing in that moment, that when the, when the Ten Commandments were given, if they kept that attitude up, it would go well with them. Later in Deuteronomy, we're going to look at how God gives a list of curses to, if the people don't follow him and a list of blessings if they do. So why do we obey? Well, I thought of three major reasons. First of all, because God is the creator and the most powerful being, and he's commanded us. We're his creature. He's the creator. He commanded us. That's the first reason. Second, um, oh, and, and his moral law is eternal, by the way. So second, we obey God because he's proven himself faithful to us. The prelude to the Ten Commandments was a reminder that he brought them out of Egypt. For us today, believers have seen God prove himself faithful in providing salvation through the gospel. And third, we obey because we love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus affirmed the Ten Commandments were for believers today. In fact, he made them even more clear to us, bringing the moral imperative to a higher bar. We may not audibly hear God's voice, but we have his word. We must have a holy reverence and fear of God that while we may call him friend, we realize that we could not stand before him without a mediator. But thank God that he's provided us with such a mediator too. We don't have Moses. We have what Hebrews says is better than Moses, and that's Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 8, 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates it is better, since it enacted is enacted on better promises. And not only do we have the written commands, but his law is written on our hearts. Hebrews 8, 10, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, even though it's obsolete, we have to keep in mind the moral law of God as shown in the Ten Commandments is not part of what they're saying is obsolete. What is obsolete is the old covenant, its requirements for blood sacrifices, all those other holiness and ceremonial laws I spoke of earlier. We in the new covenant are still responsible to obey the moral laws. And scripture tells us that those in the new covenant face the same temptation to refuse to hear from God. 
Yet the hope of the believer is that we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The writer to the Hebrews rejoices that we are no longer at that mountain, but instead have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God. Believers are made perfect by him. They have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and therefore we're not to refuse to listen to this gospel. Hebrews 12, starting at verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of those words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of April. Abel, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. The people of Israel knew it, and they begged for Moses to be their mediator. May we understand that God is still a consuming fire, because he does not change. For the unrepentant sinner, the judgment day will be full of fear and pain and a true realization of the holiness, majesty, and power of God. If you are living in opposition to God, he is warning you through this preaching to leave your sins behind and put faith in Jesus. If you do not put faith in the mediator Jesus, then on judgment day, nothing will stand between you and the wrath of God who is a consuming fire. I preach a hard message because I'm called to do it and because I love God and people. This message is not what many want today. They want an escape from God's wrath without a turning from sin. They want an escape from the wrath of God without a man on the cross. They want heaven, but they don't want God himself. I think I got to credit C.S. Lewis with that one. Even in the church, we would be wise to carefully remember that we must also remain humble. Spence, in the pulpit commentary, pointed out that not only unbelievers, but also in the church, need to remember that the moral law comes from God, not from man, he says, because it's so perfect. And here's what he says. But more than this, this law is high above the attainment of well-trained Christian congregations. Let a minister proclaim the mercy of God and forgiving sin and his preaching may charm. Let him insist on the demands of God's righteousness and while some earnest souls, earnest holy souls will lay it to heart and humble themselves before God, many will be offended at the enforcement of righteousness. And even now, many a minister is persecuted for righteousness' sake. This law from man, 
No, it is too good for that. When, a man, when man is brought face to face with this holy heart searchingness, he hates it. But again, take the most advanced and holiest Christian you can find. Let him stand in full front of this holy law, and soon he will be crying out in agony, God be merciful to me, the sinner. But it may be said, are not Christians always preaching up to a higher level than that of their attainments? Certainly. But why? Because they feel and know that here is a law which they certainly did not originate, which is infinitely above them, and which by being so proclaims its intrinsic authority and proves itself divine. When such a law is given, conscience can look at it and say, that's right. But to create a code above itself is what no nation ever was able to do. The law shines by its own light and is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So you may mock, you may laugh, but this truth is not revoked by the majority who refuse it. This truth is not undone by rebellious people. If you hate God and reject his moral law and further refuse the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf, then you have no mediator. Satan will not buffer you from the wrath of God. All the demons cannot buffer you. If you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are left with no buffer. In Revelation, it says the people under the wrath of God will plead for the very mountains to fall upon them as though that would bury them or buffer them from the wrath of God. But even if they were buried beneath the mountains, the wrath of God would yet consume them. Do not take lightly your eternal destiny. For the unrepentant sinner, it is eternal conscious torment. But for the believer, eternal bliss in the presence of God, who through Jesus will perfect us to be able to stand in his presence. Believe in Jesus, repent, and believe the gospel. And this is why I declare with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Believe and receive the righteousness of Christ by faith. And you can look forward with eager anticipation to meeting God instead of the dread that every sinner should feel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I, I commend the power of your word to you and what you will do with it. I believe in the power of your word, Lord, and I believe in the power of your Holy Spirit to use your word to convict sinners of their sin and convince them of the truth of the gospel, which is why the Holy Spirit was sent in the first place. So Holy Spirit, I ask, would you do that work in our hearts? Convince us of this truth, Lord. And if anyone has not yet fallen to their knees to repent of their sins and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that they would respond as you pull them towards yourself through your word. Lord, we want to see it done. We want to see more people coming to faith in you. We want to see prisoners set free, chains broken. 
if anyone here needs to respond to this gospel, I leave it in your hands to draw them. In the name of Jesus, amen.